Welcome to Group Talk, a monthly podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Happy New Year. Um, my name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the small groups pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, when you build a house, you start by laying a foundation, and then you start constructing the framing. And at this stage, you determine, um, apparently, I haven't done this, but I read that this is how it's done. You decide where the weight-bearing walls need to go for the design of the house to work. And if you don't get this piece right, the framing, um, then whatever you do afterwards is going to be at risk for falling down, and it won't be sustainable. Um, So today, as we kick off 2019, we're going to look at the big picture, the framework for your ministry. We want to focus on some of the key decisions that you will need to make for your small groups ministry. And maybe you've already made them, and now you're kind of revisiting that. Um, These decisions are like these weight-bearing walls of a building. Where you land on these issues and how you answer these questions is going to have a critical impact on shaping the values, the strategies, the culture of your small groups ministry in your church for years to come. And so um, who better to talk through some of these hard questions and key strategic decisions than um, Pastor Steve Gladen, who is the founder of Small Group Network, and has so much experience and thought um, around this. So thank you, Steve, for being with us again on Group Talk. Uh, I was waiting for you to announce Bob the Builder or something like that. <laughs> we're obviously doing something that neither one of us on this call could ever do on our lifetime. So but this is going to be exciting. This, is, be this is true. You're right. That probably was a tough analogy, but it made sense. Uh, so That's we'll just tough. have to go with it. Let's pretend that you are Bob the Builder, Steve the Builder. Um, most of us know Steve, but uh, let me just tell you briefly a little bit about him. He has been the small groups pastor at Saddleback Church since 1998, and he currently oversees 8,000-plus groups across 20 campuses. He's also the author of Small Groups with Purpose and Leading Small Groups with Purpose. And in 2018, he released his third book, Planning Small Groups with Purpose, which is a really practical workbook to help design healthy small groups ministries. And that's been really useful for a lot of our point people. Steve is passionate about connecting small group point people to one another um, so that no one is ministering alone. So he founded the Small Group Network almost 11 years ago now and built this global network that serves thousands of churches. And it's such a privilege to be on the ground floor when Steve launched this. And it's just a joy to continue to learn from him and to serve with him. Um, so <laughs> I know he's blushing. If you could see him, he would be blushing. <laughs> I know I'm just shocked. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> who is that guy? And how's God using this guy? Yeah. Um, so, Steve, before we uh, jump into the nuts and bolts of this conversation, talk to us about what needs to be in the foundation before we start talking about the weight-bearing walls and the strategies that are going to have this key impact. Yeah, no, Karen, I, I love, uh, you know, how you, really the analogy you're giving is a great one because, you know, all of us have are in structures and we know if they're not sound, it's a very bad place to be. Uh, in 2018, we... we had some structural issues in our own house and uh, <laughs> just we threw a lot of money away. So, but it's great to be in a safe house. So when you're thinking of that in your church, some things are prescribed for you and some things aren't. I mean, face it, we're not the senior pastor. We're not the lead mm-hmm. pastor. So we're working inside an existing home sure. uh, that we have to know. And so part of the, some of the things, and we're not going to address them on this call, but we've addressed them on a, on a, on a different uh, podcast, but just for a review, you've got to be thinking through what's your end in mind. If you don't know what the perfect disciple is that you're trying to create at your church, then this 
stop and just go, oh, I need to, I need to follow up on that. You need to know your your church's systems, their environment that that you're existing in, how the temple courts, the house to house, and the ministries all interface with each other. You need to also uh, understand the the structure of your church, the strategy that you play out, and the vision and the mission of, of where you're going. So those are things that you know we've talked about before in the right. past. Uh, we'll put them in the show notes of where you can find them, but also. In my uh, the latest book that Carolyn was talking about, Planning Small Groups with Purpose, uh, even though it's a book on small groups, 40% of the book is talking about those things because mm-hmm. most small group pastors don't realize they need to address them. So right. to do. Well, if we're going to continue our analogy, that would be almost like the grading and the site planning um, and the context for where the building's going to go up. And those are so essential. So let's assume that that's handled. To a certain okay. extent, we are in the context we're in. We are on the plot of land that we're in. Um, so, you know, these strategic decisions that we make, I think sometimes we tend to think, you know, it's just a program decision and we can switch it up. Um, but some of them actually end up having really long-term ramifications about the kind of culture we build about community in our mm-hmm. churches. So let's talk about some of these. Um, the very first one, these are ones I know you get a lot of questions about these in churches all over the world, regardless of size or denomination. Um, one of the questions that always pops up in, in our Facebook group as well is, you know, should churches have open groups or closed? groups yeah i mean and it has this and it seems like such a simple question but it permeates to so many different things because you're you're really answering the question of of how do we do community Mm -hmm. which is discipleship and and then how does that interface with evangelism and how are you reaching out and so it's so important for uh, each one of us is to figure out okay do we want what hill do we want to die on and and to be honest with you being in this game north of 30 years uh, I'm almost going to say, you know, both, uh, right, right. because I, I have some groups, and just so you, just where I'm coming from, and Carolyn will kind of give the counter to that, but <laughs> we, we come from a, a system where we launch groups organically and relationally, and uh, they don't they don't have to add anybody technically, like from the church placing them in a group, although we have a lot of groups that are open to that, but uh, we we leave it up to the group to say. Uh, in our training, this is how we would express it. Every group is open, but method- methodologically, they handle it different ways. Mm-hmm. So like my group, it's closed, but we all care about personal evangelism. And sure. we all around our, our group are actively doing a personal evangelism and reaching out to people and helping build bridges so that Jesus can walk across them. We have other of our groups that are open to our database, and they say, mm-hmm. send us anybody that is out there. But regardless of how you answer the question, I think you got to think, you know, philosophically, what are we trying to accomplish? Right. And then what are the different methods uh, that we can handle that? Yeah, and I think even the word closed, I've, we've stopped using that years ago because it connotates something um, that's that's not as um, welcoming for people and especially for evangelism. So we call them full. And full just means you just don't have any more space in your living room. Um, or the group has been together so long that they're not, um, it would be hard for a new person to jump in. And if we were to fill up every group from the database and people signing up, there'd be no room for people to invite friends. So we say you're always open um, in terms of anyone who's invited by someone in the group is welcome to come. We want that that philosophy and that um, thinking to permeate our groups. That's a strategic 
decision on that. But at the same time, we want to honor that there's only so much space, um, not just physical space, but also emotional, uh, mental space. And if the group gets too big, you just lose that. Um, so we have the both and as well that there's, I think most churches probably end up having to have a combination of open and closed and yeah, full. You're not going to be able to force every group to be closed or force every yes. group to be open. And the bottom line is the only one that sees whether a group is open or closed is you, the people behind the scenes. Right. No church posts and says, hey, here's a group, but it's full. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just you behind the scenes that sees it, but you got to look at those ratios and see where you're at. And for us, we're looking more at what's the personal evangelism rate versus what's the open close rate. Right. And I, and I think there are churches, Steve, that, that say, you know, they're, um, you can't join our group. Oh, this is kind of the related question, right? So open and close. And then the related question is, do you connect people into groups throughout the year? Or do you do a launch and then for like the next two, three months, nobody um, gets into a group. They kind of hold and wait. And then they do another launch and then they jump in. So um, talk to us about that. I know that's a common strategy in a number of churches we know, um, and it works for them. What do you think about that decision? Do you uh, let people connect in throughout any time of the year? Do you just uh, pick specific times where people are, are um, engaging, starting off groups? I feel like you're asking me, do you, do we do the same thing with salvation? Uh, <laughs> you can't get saved this Sunday. you got to wait you know, a couple more Sundays when we're ready to do assimilation. But uh, I, I think, it's, again, it's gonna, we're going to fall into a theme where you got to think, how do we handle this uh, you know, strategically around our church? And, and again, for, for us, we have centralized small groups that are kind of like our, our catch-all. Uh, we have a centralized small group for men's, women's, couples, and singles that when people are trying to get connected throughout the year, the worst case scenario, we throw them there. But our bent is always trying to say, hey, if we give you a choice of some relevant curriculums, could you grab two of your friends and start a group? Uh, you know, one of our uh, small group pastors always builds the analogy, if you ever go to Target, what do they always ask you? Do you have your red card? Do you have your red card? <laughs> I mean, they're always pushing you to their card. And the same thing for us is we're always pushing them to saying, we would love for you to start a group. Before we plant you into a group, uh, do you have two friends? Now, some people are relocating in. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, if we don't have an open group for them, this is where the parallel is at, then we have a centralized group that's large group, small group. You know, it's just like a small group. It's with tables. and It's everything. like a mid-sized group then? Like a yeah. Yeah. And every every table functions as a an individual small group. We try to keep them at the same table throughout all the time till either they can be launched out of the uh, out of the centralized group or uh, if they choose to stay there, they can they can stay there. But uh, my point is, you just got to have different customer service ways to handle people, because the bottom line is you really can't say wait. I mean, the, the, these people are looking for community and and I get that's in a perfect world. You can't stay wait, but you got to do your best to be open. How do we bring that customer service in place so that we can say, if, if not this, then this, if not this, then this, if not this, then this. And so our progression is always starting with uh, starting a group with two friends. We have the curriculum that we'll, we'll get your uh, rock and rolling on. Um, if we don't have an open group for you, that's, you know, just closest to your house then we'll look at one of the centralized groups at one of our campuses uh, to plug them in. If they can't fit any of those, then I think we've done our best customer service. And then we'll, we'll say, Hey, we'll work, you know, a little bit later on, but that that's the strategy we got to go through. But I think you got to think the question is not so much, how do you connect them? The question is going to be a little bit more. 
what kind of customer service are you going to try and provide? Yeah, and I, and I think that's so important, especially um, like you and I are in Southern California, and it's a fairly secular culture. And for someone to check off the box and say they're interested in a small group, that takes a lot for people to do. For someone to even walk in the doors of a church nowadays, it takes a lot. And so um, to ha ask people to wait is, is really challenging um, because then they may not ever come back. Um, so it seems like whatever it is method people choose, if you know that if you ask them to wait, you you can of course have everyone start at the same time, and it's it's a neater model. But you what you may lose out on um, are people that that are hungry for community when they're ready for it. So you're right; it's, it is a customer service sort of thing. Um, but okay, on the flip side, to play devil's advocate for people do, who do use the wait method, um, and I have heard this, and there's definitely some validity to it, where they don't want to be so consumeristic, um, and they want to make sure they have the leaders in place, and they want to make sure that the system is ready to give it the best experience for um, the person that's getting connected. And so they'd rather, you know, wait for that scenario than to just kind of thrust them in as, as they go along. And what do you think about that? Uh, I, I think it's, um, it's, it goes back to my salvation pitch, you know, okay, you know, let's, let's wait for the perfect conditions and uh, then we'll do it. I, you know, I mean, shoot, if you want to do that, go ahead, roll the dice. But, uh, I, I'm, I, my gift set is so hyper uh, uh, customer service. I, I would work to, you know, to land them uh, because, I mean, it's just like uh, with our church, too. I mean, if the church is temple courts and house to house, I want them to get both as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, the reality is we don't have church seven days a week. So there is a weight piece that has them there. If they talk to me on Monday, and they want to go to church. Sorry, you got to wait till Saturday. Just pray you don't die between, that, <laughs> between now and then. So we know where you stand on this thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't hard to pick it up, I'll just I'll pitch the ball one more time. But you know, <laughs> I get it. You know, you may have to. And every church is is different. You just some you know resources size number yes. of groups. Some groups, some churches don't have centralized groups. I can remember being in a smaller church and all we had was five small groups. Mm -hmm. And it was really if you don't if you if you didn't hit on one of those small groups. It wasn't a centralized group because that was our weekend service. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so there there may be some reasons for that. Um, related to that is the question of, you know, usually around May on our Facebook interactive group page for Small Group Network, you always get this question, should we take summers off, for should groups take summers off, or should they continue through the summer, or should you just let the leaders decide? Pros and cons? Well, again, I think it goes back to a question is, what are, you, what are you trying to do with small groups? If it's a program for connecting, this is also with semesters. A lot of churches say, hey, we're on right. semesters and we're off. It, those, pro, those types of rhythms are great for connecting people. Uh, but I think they're shallow for trying to build spiritual depth. Because mm -hmm. when you change the deck all the time, what happens is, is you don't get the transparency, you don't get the authenticity, and people aren't going to confess temptations first. It's going to wait till they blow up and have sin. And so the, you really got to ask yourself the question is, what are we trying to do with groups? Now, for us, because uh, we do them more organically and because they're mainly off friendships, uh, friends like to be with you all throughout <laughs> the year. So your rhythm may be a little bit different, uh, but you're you're always connecting with each other. And again, I think what happens is curriculum so often shapes mm -hmm. our mentality. If we're not doing a curriculum, then we're not doing group. And so there's there's a lot of things that we have to do a paradigm shift on and understanding is 
what what is group truly trying to do if it's if it's spiritual formation right that happens that happens week in week out and all the time um and so it's just like in a, in a to me in, in my sarcastic way I, I would go you know i don't take the summer off from my wife because you know we're, we're there and, and the reality too is is you know the summer argument kills me because I don't get the summer off, you know, <laughs> Rick likes to work me all through the summer. You know, I get a vacation, but you know, the bottom line is uh, when you go programmatically so strong, sometimes you hurt the people that summer helps. Mm-hmm. Like in, in all honesty, our group, when the kids were younger, we connected more in the summer yeah. because every day was a Friday and sports weren't happening. Right. Our hardest time to connect was in the fall because mm-hmm. that's when we were all just, you know, going, you know, chickens with their heads cut off. So when you when you don't leave it up to them and when you don't you know tell if if discipleship is the end for this then you got to have a different approach for it so you just got to you got to wrestle that through uh with your with your own church uh strategy and what you're trying to do with groups I think part of the rationale for why um, we take summers off or people do choose that or not force it is because we think the leaders need a breather um, or need responsibility. So like in our church, for example, um, you're not required to take the summers on or off. Um, There isn't an expectation that you're going to keep meeting on a regular basis. We don't want to be curriculum driven, but we do recognize that people have a different rhythm in the summer um, and we leave it open for people to decide. And we encourage them, regardless, to make sure you do social things together, make sure you keep in touch with one another, and most of them all do. Um, And we found that the older people just never take a break because they have time and energy and all that. The younger people, actually, the families, they spend more time because they're more free, like you just said. Um, And then the people, you know, in between kind of pick along the way. But what do you think about that, Steve, like in terms of for leaders who've been leading all year and say there's nobody else in the group that can, you know, take on that mantle? Um, in, does, is there a benefit to giving them a couple months of breather where they're not like having a regularly scheduled meeting to plan for? Yeah, I, again, I, I think it's a bigger question, too, because if you're getting exhausted from leading, I, I wonder, are you really in your gift set? And mm-hmm. is it something? Because usually... When you're operating in your gift, gifting, you're energized by it. You're not depleted from it. But at the same time, I realize, you know, uh, that's why we all have vacations. That's why we take break from work and in, in, in different pieces like that. I, again, it, it, it you go back to the mindset: is it is it is a group only a group when you're having a curriculum session? And so uh, I would want to try to think through in spiritual health. What are what are other avenues to give your leaders to that would help them see that this is a natural byproduct of spiritual formation, whether that is going out and doing fun things with your group because mm-hmm. you're building memories, you're building stories, or whether it is going to work, you know, do different service projects where you may not formally be meeting on the night that you normally meet, but you do something else. Or is it, you know, that you're, you've got a different mojo with you, uh, you know, for us, you know, it's going to a night of worship mm-hmm. uh, as a group. doesn't meet on our night, but it, it's still part of community. So I, I think what you got to do is just reprogram leaders. What's a win? Mm-hmm. Win is not 52 weeks of curriculum or right. 40 weeks of curriculum. I, I want to say a win is building spiritual health in people. And sometimes you can't meet formally. I mean, I wish we met every Friday night. Sometimes life happens. But at the same time, you're still connecting with each other. You're still sure. built into each other. So I, I think there's a, just a lot of different pieces that you got to work with. 
my, my thing is that whenever you tell people to take it off, if they could meet or couldn't meet, they won't meet. Mm. So the danger is I want to, I want them to go off of spiritual health, not me prescribing when you meet and when you don't meet. Hmm. That's a good word. You're right. Cause people are going to go to the least, um, and the thing that creates the least amount of effort because <laughs> this is, we're sinful, broken people. This is where we go. <laughs> We're, we're, we're shallow. I mean, same thing too. If you really want to play it out too, is that you know, no church in America would say, "Hey, we're taking the summer off." Well, their offerings couldn't afford that. <laughs> Again, what drives the church? Is it the offerings? Or, no. Because if the church is temple court, sand house to house, if you took the summers off, why wouldn't you take the summers off from your weekend services? Well, a lot of people do so, take some weeks off here and there. <laughs> I agree with you on that, but the church overall, the church would never, ever say, I'm going to take the summer off uh, on the weekend. And it may be because of financial, maybe because of other things. So, but it just, if you play the logic out, you you leave temple courts and house to house, you're going to have a tough time connecting those dots. Yes, I agreed. Um, All right. So you mentioned how sometimes we fall into these habits um, because it's so curriculum driven. The small groups ministry can become curriculum driven. Um, So here's the other question that comes up a lot. Do, should we tell people and groups what to study like we would do in a campaign or sermon based material, or should we allow groups to choose what they want to study, what they feel like they need more um, input and discussion around? Again, I I think it's, again, you got to ask the question, what is curriculum? Uh, Is curriculum a tool for you to build spiritual health and use it as such? For us, we're going to, uh, we're going to have times when we're going to say this would help you in your daily allowance of, you know, spiritual health. Uh, So, you know, you you use it in your own eating habits with your family, too, if you want to pull it into the family system. I, I mean, you, you do different types of meals, but you're, all, you're always trying to say, how do I make them healthy at that? Mm-hmm. You don't let the kids decide what's for dinner because they're going to pick Skittles and potato chips. And, and you want to be a little bit more healthy, like McDonald's and Taco Bell <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so if you think of it in, in that alignment uh, in, in, your, in your home, you also got to say, for us, and this is just a, a challenge point, but for us, curriculum is to serve the health, not the group serve the curriculum. And so what we're trying to always say is we know certain curriculums will stretch them into our paradigm of what we want to see in discipleship. And so we are going to want to put those on the, on the buffet. So you'll pick them. Mm-hmm. If we see that you don't pick them enough, then we're going to say, Hey, you know, time to have some fruits and vegetables or something <laughs> like that. So we want to dive a little bit more in. Uh, we do use sermon based too. We have talk it over groups. I mean, not talk it over groups. We have talk it over curriculum for people that want to study the weekend. But again, it's a it's a whole church wide strategy mm-hmm. of being able to say what's the weekend for and what are small groups for. If the weekend for us is for pulling non believers or people who aren't comfortable with church into church to hear a message, then maybe the sermon base isn't going to be the right thing for their group. Mm. Again, having a prescription, there's no way I could prescribe the health, the curriculum being a tool for health for the 8,000 groups. I couldn't even do it if I had 50 groups uh, because every group is at a different point. So you've got to, uh, I, I would say my bent would be you've got to be cautious about the one size fits all on everything, mm-hmm. programming to curriculum to all that, because every group is at a different place. And so uh, I think you can use sermon-based curriculum as fillers between if a group needs that, mm-hmm. or if weekend message really touches a spiritual growth point, 
of what they need, but curriculum is supposed to help drive the spiritual health metrics of your small group. Uh, you know, not, not a one size fits all. Oh, so what percentage of your groups, um, this is just because I'm curious, do the sermon-based um, materials? So I think we average on downloads, uh, my numbers may be a little fuzzy, but between five and 700 downloads a week. Also, that's actually uh, a smaller percentage than I would have thought. Okay. But I, my, my intuitive, intuitiveness would say <laughs> that it's probably groups that are looking for, you know, uh, something they're between a gap. Yeah, or filler. I yeah. doubt if, if most of them use it as a steady diet. Uh, again, we use groups for, you know, the spiritual depth we right. use again for reaching our community. And I know you have curriculum. Um, I've seen the list online of different um, recommended materials for different areas of growth for a group. So I think you guys are, have that um, worked out so people know, groups know if they need to grow in a certain area, um, which are the purposes that kind of match up with the curriculum. So there's kind of a right. design design to it. Um, along similar kind of in the same vein with um, Sunday school and small groups. Um, I know the an- the answer is going to be both and probably, but um, talk to us about that because people, churches get really stuck on that question. Yeah, it really becomes a war of words. I mean, it's yeah. just like, oh my goodness. Uh, I just, you know, I always tell churches, you know, if you got the, if you got the space on Sunday mornings, there's some great pros to it. My goodness, you want to answer the childcare question, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, go for that 100% of the time. So there's pros and cons to both. But again, we don't care where groups meet. We care that they grow healthy. So usually the bent of a Sunday school environment is it becomes very teacher driven, mm-hmm. not, you know, spiritual health driven with the individuals. And it becomes a mini temple courts. Uh, so that's the, the Achilles heel to that. Uh, but the same thing is true on the on the small group end. What it is the Achilles heel with small groups is, you know, they're just party groups all the time and they don't slide. Only if they're your groups. (laughs) Uh, But both have pros and cons. And you've got to you've got to work against, you know, the the Achilles heel of what what can drive you down. But it's still a a great thing. It's a hard it's it's again, it's a question. If you if you got the if you got the rooms, I would utilize the rooms. If you don't got the rooms, good Lord, don't don't build more brick and mortar because, you know, you got to spend the money to to keep it up but so it's just a matter of again what is it that you want out of each environment right and even with sunday school um you know i know churches and we've done this to experiment with doing the mid-sized group with the tables so it has a small group feel still to address the achilles heel of the teacher-led teacher-driven uh, sunday school model so it still has a kind of a, a taste of community maybe around the table so that then the next step might be easier into actual community in people's homes yeah and we we guard against the same thing you know with our centralized groups i mean because if you're not careful that the teacher uh is not teaching 20 minutes they go like an hour go, oh <laughs> here's one question you know huddle around the table and talk about this and that's just, you know, again, it's like all things. It, it, everything will always drift towards disorder. And so you gotta, you always got to bring it back together with that. Uh, but more times than not with the centralized groups, we're showing video curriculum anyway. So it's, hmm. you know, they just watch the screen. Okay. Um, and then I think we have time for one more tough um, issue. 
let's talk about leadership. Whether you front load the leadership training uh, before they start leading, whether you um, do it once they start leading and then you kind of track them through it. Do you do training big room, everyone in there kind of thing, or one-on-one personal handheld customized training? Um, talk to us about that. What are the pros and cons of the different types of training? And I'm giving you all of like two minutes. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, again, I, I think what you got to say is uh, if you got your end in mind, you got to see what's the best way for people to learn. We, we have learned that just like in a family system, you don't front load all the training with your kids. You dribble it out as time goes on. And most education would share the same value. You rarely front load it. You look at Jesus with the disciples. He was doing training all three years. Mm-hmm. And so we will choose to uh, take the approach of come and see. Uh, I, I love it when people say it's a low bar. They always use low bar and high bar for training. I'm just like going, how about Jesus bar? <laughs> uh, how about an open bar? Uh, but, uh, but, I don't think you're allowed that. <laughs> um, but the, the whole point is going through is saying, do people retra- re- retain if you front load everything? And my bent would be, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. And I've also, the reality is most people only learn. They're, they're not proactive in learning. Uh, they usually wait till they have a problem. They learn. Right. That's why you think through more online, more asynchronistic training mm-hmm. that when they have it, because most group leaders will have their problem either right after group or right before group when <laughs> your, your training session isn't happening. So I, I think the challenge there is, um, is how are you going to train and realizing only 40% of people learn by master teacher training person mm-hmm. up front. Uh, so that leaves a big void of people behind it that uh, learn in other different ways. So if, if the goal is to to uh, train and or teach, you know, however you want to use the words, but if the goal is to, to see them replicate what you want them to do, then you got to really look critically and say, what's the best way? And some of it is going to be the you know centralized teaching. Some of it's going to be online. Some of it's going to be interaction. Some of it's going to be talking through. Some of it's going to be many different ways. And again, I know people, when you're listening to this, you're like, you just made my job harder. <laughs> and, and if it was easy, everybody would do it. But the thing is, uh, it, it is, you got to do a little work involved yeah. in, in the training aspect. So we would rather take people along a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, we'll start if you don't know the Lord and you have two friends, we'll, 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 we'll launch you. Now, nobody else, it's not an open group. Nobody else knows about the group but us. Uh, but we'll take people where they're at and take them to where we want them to be. Yeah, that's the training piece. Um, you're right. I, I think what you said about people not being necessarily proactive until an issue hits. And so it's almost like wasted, you know, pearls to swine sort of thing. You have it all out there, um, but then it's along the way. And, and I think it's probably all the methods, right? I mean, you, once you get to know your leaders, as you mentioned earlier, every group is so unique. Every leader is unique. Um, and so it's whether they need a one-on-one time with the coach more regularly or whether online training will give them the information they need. Um, there's almost have to offer multiple um, avenues for training. And so, yeah. And the great thing is the smaller your number of groups are, the more relationally you can yes. do it. Yes, that's and a benefit for sure. The larger you get, the more intentional you have to be in the processes mm-hmm. and how it's done. So uh, if you're a smaller church, enjoy that because uh, you're going to have the best training because uh, it's done relationally. Uh, the larger you get, the harder it's to do it that way. Yes, and if you're a smaller church, um, you're going to hear from the members what's going on. <laughs> 
And very, and very quickly, and that will also feed into what you know the leader needs training on. It's hard yeah. to do that as as your numbers grow because you don't really know, and what they're reporting to you is only one part of the story. Um, and so you might find that something different when you do your due diligence. But Steve, thank you so much for this conversation. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, again, we, we learn from each other. So, uh, you know, the small group network gives you huddles, gives you communities of purpose. Uh, there's many other avenues out there on the Facebook page to stay connected. Uh, no question is easily answered. Uh, I wish it was, uh, but it's not. And so uh, as as there are many churches, uh, there are many variables that will mm-hmm. cause you to go one way or another. But try to try to learn the best you can from those that have been before you. Well, that's a good word. And also, to as a reminder, you kind of figure stuff out as you go, too. You don't have to have the whole perfect system figured out. Um, and the context that um, Steve opened our conversation up with is so important to understand the context that you're in and the constraints and the perimeters that you have as you pick the various strategies um, that will have impact. So thank you so much, Steve. You can find Steve's materials. You can connect with him on his website, smallgroups.net. Um, Steve is also really active on our Facebook page. If you have Facebook, search for the Small Group Network and look for the interactive group. And then you can request to join. And one of our administrators, usually that same day or even the hour, will um, accept you. And the reason we have that is because we want it to be a safe place for small group point people. And so we make sure that other people that aren't connected to that purpose would not be um, part of that page. So you can feel safe being on there. Um, You can ask questions, interact with Steve on that page. Um, You can contact him other other ways as well. But Steve, thank you so much for starting the network, for giving us this tool, um, and also for your wisdom today. God bless you and your ministry. My pleasure. God bless you too. Well, thank you for listening to Group Talk. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much to Carolyn and Steve for that great interview. We hope that this interview helped jumpstart your 2019. Now, before we go, let's talk about the lobby. Enjoy the sunny beaches of Southern California, learn about cutting-edge trends in small group ministry, and network with small group point people from across the country at the Lobby Gathering Small Group Conference March 12th through the 14th in San Juan Capistrano. Spaces are limited. Go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash events to register. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com slash events. We hope that your new year is starting out great, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.